0: All right, good morning. Is it on, James? Okay, there it is. Not close enough. All right, well, we're going to be back over in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1. Again, this morning for just a, a few moments, looking at, um, at trust issues. Sometimes we, we have uh, issues with um, with trusting God, and we have issues with uh, ourselves. We'll go through trials. we we'll go through temptations in this life. We, the trials is the big thing that we go through. And, and along with what Jerry was teaching on this morning, uh, with bitterness, you know, that, that's a, bitterness is a trial that we go through. A lot. That's something I think, as Jerry had mentioned, that, that as a Christian, that's, that's one of the bigger tools in the devil's toolbox that he likes to use is that bitterness, that's a trial and And when the devil uses that bitterness in our lives he it's 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 uh, it's amazing to see how God, when you rely on God, as Jerry said, when you rely on him, how he can take that bitterness away and how he'll allow you to forgive that person for whatever wrongdoing or if you was right or or wrong or whatever it was uh but it's 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 a it is a trial, and we're going to look at how peter uh was able to preach to these individuals. Uh, and if you go back and look at the first part of First Peter chapter one, uh, you'll see those five that that were mentioned. Were those uh, uh, well, let me just go ahead and read it real fast. Those they were over in Pontus, Galatia, uh, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And this is Peter. It's trying to encourage them. That's what Peter was doing in this this first part of this book here. Is just encouraging them. And as Christians, Christians then, Christians now, the the trials and temptations were real back then and they're just as real now so i I'm look at i'm gonna look at trials first if you think about airline anybody here nobody in here's pilot are they anybody here ever flown an airplane i don't think so all right i've, I've rode in a few of them things and helicopters and things like that if you think about the training that goes into flying an airplane if if abby was to say right now daddy i want to go fly tomorrow I can't just take her down to Charlotte and stick her on one of those Bowens and let her just take off. It's not like her with her her driving permit. You know, with a driving permit, you learn as you go. It's a little bit safer down here anyway, but you got to learn. Well, pilot can't just get thrown into airplane and take off and and trial and error because, well, one (laughs) air, they're going to crash. I had a I'm dying to go skydiving this year for my 40th birthday, but I, my cousin, we were talking about this the other day, and it says, um, if at first you don't succeed, skydiving's not for you. And I thought about that, and it goes right along with this. If, if at first you don't succeed, maybe flying is not for you. But these pilots have to train, so what do they do? They don't just stick them in a plane take them, and fly off. They put them in simulators, and they start off with baby steps, In those simulators, they start out with a small, whatever it might be, maybe a a a small, um, maybe a bird hitting a plane or engine failure or you know smoke, or they start out with something smaller, and as they get used to that, and then they move on to bigger things. So that's how we are in our Christian life. There's things in our lives that we have to go through. There's these trials in our lives that we have to go through. And until we can uh, figure out how to get over it or get through that one, I don't believe God's going to throw anything much bigger on us at that time. We learn from these these trials in our lives. We grow through these trials. When we finally get through bitterness for one person, and then eventually, as Jerry said, we're, we're all going to go through bitterness in our lives Eventually, when the next piece of bitterness comes up, we'll be able to go through it, not, probably not as easy, but we'll be able to get through it because we've been through that trial of bitterness, that trial of loss, that trial of temptation, that trial of sin that we've been going through. It, it helps us. It builds us. It builds our character. It builds our relationship with God because, as we continue to say, we cannot do this without God. You cannot go through a trial without God. You can try... If you won't, but you're going to fail, we've got to have God through the trials and the temptations in our lives. In the verses here, we're getting ready to read. Uh, Peter takes a turn uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He he's trying to to help turn these these individuals away from the trials. Take your mind off the bad stuff and put your mind on the good stuff. Put your mind, put your heart on God. Focus on God. If you would keep your eyes on the prize, you wouldn't have to worry about the trials that you're going through. The temptations wouldn't be as real. Temptations are up here. Not down here. Temptations are it's the devil messing with your mind and he's trying to remind them to to keep your eyes focused on God. Now, believers Uh, these believers right here were suffering from a lot of persecution. They had lost their homes. They lost their property. They had uh, lost their money. They had lost their possessions. They had lost their friends. They had lost all this stuff through this persecution. What little they had, they had picked up by hand, and they were running for their lives. They were being persecuted, not, ha-ha, you're a Christian, uh, you're no good, you believe in God, Not, not verbal persecution. They were being killed. And so they were hightailing it out of town. And so all they had with them was what they could fit in their hands. Because more than likely, they didn't even try to pack up a mule or nothing like that because they were in such a hurry. They grabbed what they could and they took off running. They had nothing. They were scared. They were terrified. They might die. And so when they finally got to a place where they were safe, Peter's writing back to them and he's trying to encourage them about this, these trials that they're going through right now. They're being persecuted for following Jesus. They weren't being persecuted because of the way they looked or the way they smelled or the way they dressed or the house they lived in. They are being persecuted because of this Jesus that they had put their faith and their trust into. That type of persecution, I've said this in the past and no, we're not used to it. That's the type of persecution that that we as Americans, especially we as the, the Christians here in the U.S., that's a type of persecution that we cannot wrap our minds around because we don't see it here in the U.S. Now, you look a little bit deeper and you go into China and you go into some places in Africa and you're going to see persecution. You can go into some of the Middle Eastern countries and you will see persecution. You will see, I remember when I worked at the police department back in the early 2000s, one of the big things that was hitting the news was people being beheaded. That was a big deal back then. And, and, it, and of course, that was back when uh, cell phones had just come out with cameras in it. And so they were just starting to record these persecutions, uh, the beheadings. That's still a thing. Being persecuted, being a believer in Jesus Christ, that's still a thing. People are still being killed. They are being bold. They are being uh stabbed they're being shot they're being beheaded they're being hanged they're being tortured because of their belief in jesus they're being martyred that's a thing and so here peter's trying to encourage them as they go through this persecution as they're running for their lives he's trying to encourage them and he did it early. We talked about last week about their salvation, being secure in their salvation and, and, and the, the, what God has done for them. They can't lose that. He's trying to be an encouragement. Yes, you're running for your life because of what you believe, but God is still with you. He wants to be an encouragement. And he had preached about that wonder and the greatness of that salvation. That's encouraging. we talked about last week is um, how we take it for granted, how we take our, our, our salvation for granted. And he's trying to encourage them through that. Don't take your salvation for granted. Keep running. Keep your eye on the prize. We're we're going to be over in uh again First Peter one thirteen this morning. If you got your Bibles open and stand with me just a, just a moment. First Peter one thirteen. We'll read this. Today we're going to learn how to to live your life in the face of trials and temptations. Wherefore gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Let's pray. Father God, this morning, again, we just want to come to you and ask for your blessings on this service, Lord, we just ask that you would clear our hearts. So many of us have been, been going through trials or been going through temptations in our lives here lately. And God, we just need you today. Lord, we need you more. This country needs you more. Our churches need you more today than we may have ever needed you in the past. Lord, we need your guidance. We need, uh, we need your hand right now, Father. We need an encouragement. We need some encouraging words from you this morning. God, we need you to touch our hearts this morning. Lord, we just need you. God, we need you right now in our hearts, in our lives, in our homes. Father, our children need you right now. These adults need you right now. Lord, we need you as a whole right now. Father, we pray that you would just reveal yourself to us this morning. and Help us get through whatever's going on in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would guide us through these situations that we're facing in our lives. Lord, we've watched you do many, many miracles. Lord, Father, we've watched you do it here in the church. We've watched you do it in this community. And Father God, I pray this morning that you continue to work in a way, Father, that would just continue to amaze us and allow us to, to build up our testimony in a way that would be pleasing to you, Lord, and it would help bring others to the love of Jesus. Let them see what your Son, Jesus Christ, can do for them. And I pray, God, again, that you would just be with these churches up and down the road as, as we're getting back into the flow of things now, God, I pray that you would keep our churches open. Uh, Lord, I pray that we just start seeing more and more salvations coming and, uh, from, from your word and from these men that are preaching and preaching boldly behind this sacred desk. And I pray, God, today that you would just have your will and way. I'll listen to your son's name, we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. What is it that we need to focus on in this life? Now, we know that this life is short. We know that it's not guaranteed. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. Bible tells us. James tells us that it's like a vapor, that it is. It ain't. We're not here very long. And the older I get, the more I realize that that we're not here very long. I got I got my emails this week from the funeral homes, and in in a five in five minutes, I received three emails with a total of seven people that had just passed away, and those funeral the the obituaries were popping up. It, it's crazy it it is crazy at the amount of, of people that are just continue to pass away right now and you read the obituaries and you can't help but be reminded that this life is short. I don't know what the age range was, but the majority of them were in their sixties and seventies that's that that really hits home it really hits home when you start reading those things and, and while I'm talking about life being a vapor we we got to know where to put our trust we got to know where to focus our life we don't a lot of times we get so focused on the bad you turn on the news right now what is it bad whatever it is it's bad I wish there was a channel out there that was nothing but good news there was no negative on that channel you didn't hear about people dying in car wrecks or houses burning down or, or government in general. We don't hear about that. There just needs to be a good, good channel to turn on and just hear nothing but good news all day long. But what do we do? We turn on the news or we turn on the computer or whatever it is, and we see all the bad stuff. And we focus on the bad stuff nowadays. We need to be focusing in this life on the good stuff, the good stuff of God, the things that he can do for us. First thing we'll look at this morning is we need to focus on the grace of God. And that's over in verse 13 again it says, "Wherefore gird up the loins of your mind to be sober and hope to the end of the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We need to focus on that grace of God as much as we can. We need to remember just what that grace is. Remember, grace is God's unmerited, undeserved favor given to us as believers. We don't deserve God's grace, but out of love He. Gives us grace. Now, the unbelievers, they haven't got to experience God's grace yet through Jesus because they haven't been through Jesus. They ain't not been through the blood yet. They haven't been saved yet. But it's when they get to experience salvation, they're going to get to experience that grace, and they don't know what they've been missing. Just like any Christian, once they're saved, their biggest regret is that they didn't get saved a lot earlier because they missed out on all that grace and all that blessings that comes with salvation. They've missed out on it because of their stubbornness. The unbelievers, that haven't experienced it. Experienced he himself, which was Jesus, talking or taking the guilt of their sin and nailing it to the cross. They had not got to experience that yet. Yet. But that relief that you get, Jerry's story this morning is ideal. I mean, it's perfect. I ain't going to go back over it. But that relief that you get once you have been forgiven or have forgiven someone else, the relief. It's just like letting the air out. It's just, it's gone. It's like if you've ever carried something heavy, had to do this carrying gravel or carrying rocks or whatever in buckets, and you carry it for a long ways. Actually, it's just like carrying them concrete buckets out here in the building for the tent. You carry them from the building out back, and you carry them all the way out here to the corner, and you set them down, what's the first thing that happens? Your arms start to float up. Your arms start to float. So that, that's the way I've always looked at that forgiveness. When you forgive someone or you are forgiven, it's, it's so light, that feeling that you get, you just want to float away because the heaviness of that burden of grief or that burden of bitterness has just been given away. You've laid it down at, at, at Jesus' feet and said, Lord, just take this away. And you get up and you're just so much lighter, you just feel like you could, you could just float away. When we place our faith fully in Jesus, he takes that guilt of our sin. He takes it away from us, from the past. He takes that, it's gone. From the present, right now, today, he takes it, it's gone. And I will tell you this, he's going to take it in the future as well. It's not going to stop right now. Just because he's taking it today, whatever, what, I don't even mean, know what it today is. What is day? 20th, February 20th. It ain't going to end today. Tomorrow, he's going to take it away as well, and the day after, and the day after, and the day after. He's going to continue to take that away from us. We are, uh, we're saved from the wrath of God on sin, which is eternity in hell. Just I think that's just common sense for us right now. We're saved. Once we're saved, we're always saved. We don't fall from grace. We don't lose that. But we don't have to deal with the thoughts of hell for ourselves. But once we're saved, we do need to continue to have the thoughts of hell on our heart for others. We don't have to worry about being there. We don't have to worry about ever experiencing that. But we do have to have that concern for others that have never experienced salvation. We have to have that concern, we have to have that love for that person that's bound for hell right now so that we can reach out to them and try to be a help to them, to try to be a witness to them, to, to try to lead them away from that temptation or those trials and show them just how much Jesus has done for us where he has got us through the valleys in our, in our lives or where he has got us through the temptations or the bitterness or the guilt or the, whatever the sin might be in our lives, we can be a witness to them and help lead them to Jesus. Now, we're not saved from the presence of sin yet. We're saved, and we can ask for forgiveness from those sins. But when we're saved, that doesn't mean that all the sins are just taken away from us here, now, in the present, here on earth. We're still going to be tempted by the devil. He's got tons of temptations out there. His toolbox is full of sins that he can throw at you. So we're not exempt from sin here, but when we get to heaven, that's where we'll never experience it ever again. Sin's not allowed there, so we'll never have to go through that again. We're still living in this world and in the presence of evil and corruption. Every, Like I said, you turn on the news right now, and that's what you're going to see, evil and corruption. You turn on the news right now, and you're going to see Satan and his demons everywhere you look. He is having a heyday right now. He's running rampant. He is all over the place. Everywhere you go, you're going to see something that the devil is doing, something that he has got his hand in. He has got a foothold in so many things in this world right now. So there, we need to be able to pull away from that bad news and get in the good news, get in the gospel of Jesus Christ and find some encouragement wherever we look in the Word of God. Find some encouragement where we see God working in somebody's life. See encouragement in our young and see encouragement in our churches. We need to be finding that encouragement and not looking at the world for encouragement because it's not there. We're going be delivered one day. There's three things from these verses here that, that's going to help us keep our, our focus on the grace of God. First thing we'll look at is we need to prepare our minds for action. We've got to be prepared. Now, th- th- look, over here. Romans 8, 6 tells us, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is death. Is life and peace. As believers, we have to gather up and prepare our thoughts. Now we know salvation is a heart thing. You know, there's, I, 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 I'm pretty sure I preached it here. There's 17 inches to salvation. You, it can be a mind thing or it can be a heart thing. Mind thing sends you to hell, heart thing, you got it right. We've got to prepare our minds for what's going on right now. We've got to gather up our thoughts. The human mind is, is a battlefield. because That's where the devil plays. That's the devil's battlefield is our minds. He loves to get in our minds. He loves to use our eyes and our ears. and He likes to be able to draw us away from things that, have, that are of God. He likes to draw us away from... From the Word of God, he likes to draw us away from churches. He likes to draw us away. He likes to mess with our minds. It is a battlefield, and he's running all over the place right now. It's it's been said that uh, the mind is Satan's playground. And I, I tell you right now, they're wrong. The mind ain't Satan's playground. It's his battlefield. Playground is fun, ain't it? That's what playgrounds are for. you like playgrounds, Ethan? You like play on? You like playgrounds? You like playgrounds? Do what? <laughs> oh, oh, he did. He said <laughs> he defeated the devil. That's right. Jesus defeated the devil. We have those playgrounds, and playgrounds are fun. You go out to the playground, and you get on your little whatever things, you spin around, and you slide, and you do all these things. They're fun. Now, it might be fun for the devil, but it sure ain't fun for us when he's in our minds. That's what makes it a battlefield. I've never seen any video or anything on any documentaries on war that ever said the battlefield's fun. Never. That's where death happens, that's where hurt happens, that's where loss takes place. That's, where, that's what this is a battlefield for the devil. This is where the heat of spiritual warfare takes place in your mind. This is where a lot of believers begin their, their backsliding back into the world because they give up in the battle of their minds. They just quit. They quit trying to fight the devil, and they just let him take over, take control we should focus our thoughts on the things that are excellent and praiseworthy. And that comes out of Philippians 4.8. It says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think of these things. Think of these things. Think. You put these things in your in your mind. What's everything honest, just pure, lovely, good report? That's good stuff. Keep those things in your mind. Think about those things. And if you will think about those things, it's going to clutter up and it's going to it's going to mess up the devil's battlefield because you got a lot of good things going on in your mind and he don't like that. We shouldn't allow our thoughts to tear down the Our moral and and the godly fiber that we have in us, that he has been building and working in us over the years. After salvation, he just keeps working and building and building and building. Don't let bad thoughts, don't let bad things in this life tear that apart. Don't let it ruin you. We focus on God's grace by preparing our minds for action. Second, we need to be self-controlled. This is a tough one right here, especially this day and time that we're living in. Our poor youngins. Our poor youngins. I was looking at one of my yearbooks the other day. And I remember, <laughs> I remember how much fun it was to go in the computer lab and sit there and watch the screensavers bounce. Some of, y'all, some of y'all probably know what I'm talking about, some around my age. That was fun. Big old computers, you know, those big old thick things. and I just loved i just go in there and I'd sit and I'd watch some little things just bounce. And that, that, was, that made my day. We didn't have internet. That wasn't a thing yet. I mean, it was, but it wasn't at the school yet. And here we are, 24 years later since I did that, and I I look at, especially Paisley, and Clayton's going to be there before you know it, and I watch these two over here, and just for them to, to pick up a phone or a tablet, And they know how to swap and click and do all these things. It took me years to learn how to do that. And now it's just like, boom, they come out of the womb and they're already (laughs) swapping. They're already clicking things. straight out of the womb. Clayton knows how to work my watch better than I do. I never know what that thing's going to do when he gets done with it. It's scary. What I'm saying right now is it's scary because these kids have so much at their fingertips. Things that we adults never even had to worry about i never had to worry about my parents putting a filter on my phone because they were concerned about what i might see or what might pop pop up because it wasn't a thing and poor old abby now every time she gets to school and logs in i get notifications on my phone that she's looking at something she's not supposed to be looking at it's okay i can't get it to approve it for some reason sorry it's it's (laughs) that self-control we 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 don't have it, especially our young, the younger adults don't have that self control because it's so easy to find things to get in trouble with. Proverbs twenty five eight says, "He that hath rule hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls." As believers, we need to be self controlled as we focus on the grace of God. We gotta have self control, and that can be hard. I think about when I think about self control, I think about eating. It's hard. You know, when somebody has gravy that's got little bologna chunks in it, hint, hint. It's hard to, to, to have self-control, ain't it, Mike? You want to get as much gravy with bologna in it as possible, right? I've seen you eat. You just say amen. <laughs> we, 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 it's I don't want to stop. It's awful good. <laughs> we just keep eating. It's hard to have that self-control. Valentine's Day, it's hard for me to not go through Paisley's candy and make sure it was safe for her to eat. I had to make sure it was okay for her to eat. We should not focus on gratifying the flesh or the sinful nature through sin. That's the, that's the problem. As Preacher Ray used to say, the, the new motto in this world right now is if it feels good, do it. That, that's the motto of the world. If it feels good, do it. Even if it's wrong, just do it anyway. That's that self-gratification. That's lack of self-control. It just feels good. Just do it don't matter what the consequences might be, just do it. We're to be self-controlled, and it gives us the mental picture of being grounded in faith, being solid and being steady. When we can stand up to the devil, when he throws these temptations out here in front of us, and when we stand up to him and say, no, when we stand up and say, get behind me, Satan, that's showing control. That's showing self-control. That's showing God is in control. When you stand up and you say, get behind me, devil, that means God is in control, and you're, you're telling him that. Keeping things in the proper place by keeping the main thing. The main thing is what we're supposed to do, concentrating our minds on grace of God. That's what we're supposed to be doing. When we do that, that lets the devil know really fast that we're God's, not his, and leave us alone. Third thing, we need to set our hope fully on the grace and salvation of God grace, and salvation. Romans 15, 13 says, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Our hope must be kept alive, but there is dead hope. There's dead hope. Our hope, as Christians, is a live hope, but there is a dead hope. And let me tell you what the dead hope is. Not Bob. Some of y'all get that? Bob Hope. Sorry, it was bad, I know. That's one of those corny dad jokes, Paisley. (laughs) Dead Hope is this. It is the folks that live in this life hoping that when they get to heaven that God would reflect on their good deeds and allow them in when they stand face to face, when they're standing before God himself, and he's going through that list, and he's going through that Lamb's Book of Life, and he's trying to find this person. And he says, I'm not finding you. And that person keeps saying, well, well I-, I gave money to this charity, or I took care of my elderly neighbor, or I gave to someone that was standing on the corner. And God's just thumbing through, and he keeps saying, you're not in here, you're not in here. But God, I done good. God, I helped out. He's like, you're not in here because you didn't do these things in the name of Jesus. You didn't put your faith in my son, Jesus Christ, so you're not in my Lamb's book of life. That's dead hope. When you put your hope in works, that's dead, because we know that that ain't happening. He's not going to let us in for good works. The Bible teaches us that no one is acceptable by God apart from his grace, which we receive by faith in Jesus. Works after faith, or salvation, sorry, works after fa- salvation. That's what it is. Not works before, not works into heaven, but after salvation. Now, number two, we need to focus on the obedience of God. Verse 14 says, As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. John 14, 15 says this, if you love me, keep my commandments. Does that one right there not just cut you to the core? That's Jesus t- telling, if you love me, keep my commandments. But what do we do once we well, it don't matter if we're in church or out of church. What do we do? We break commandments all the time. We don't love our neighbor. We sin, we do all these things that we're not supposed to be doing. And then he flat out tells us, if you love me, keep my commandments. That is so hard to do. I love you, God. I love you, Jesus, with my whole heart. But my neighbor, (laughs) ain't that what we say? But so and so, or this is going on, or that's going on, Jesus said, if you love me, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now, the words obedient children are in verse 14 means children of obedience. try really hard not to look over here in this corner at my youngins. Children of obedience. Wouldn't that be nice if children obeyed? Tabitha's nodding. It'd be awesome if children would just obey. Obey your parents. The Bible says do that, youngins. This means that believers are to be so obedient to God that the obedience becomes a basic characteristic of them. Being so obedient to God that that's just the way you are. You obey God in everything that you do. Everywhere you go, every aspect of your life, you are obedient to God. You do everything that you can to please God. Be obedient to God. That's tough. This verse actually compares two ways of living. Now, we just mentioned children of obedience. It also speaks of children of evil desire. Picture it like this before you come to Jesus you're a child of your own desires before you come to salvation before you you accept Jesus in your life you are a child of evil desires you do things that pleases the devil you do things that pleases you honestly you do these things that are evil but after we come to him we should be children of obedience we are obeying God Just as the Bible says that we're supposed to obey our parents, God is our Father, and we are to obey Him. So after salvation, we're obedient children of God. The point is this. The world and its desires should no longer control our thoughts and actions, ever. We should not let it. We should not let the world manipulate our minds and our hearts. It's not what God has intended. After salvation... We're to let God have a complete, total overhaul in our lives. Paul says that we become new creatures. And so we put on this, this robe, this new robe, and we put the rags down we talked about, and we become a new person, and we're not of this world and we don't let the worldly things take over our lives and our minds and our hearts and, and, and change our desires. Our desires should be heavenly, godly desires, things that would please God, things that would uh, show Jesus to everyone else around us. That should be our desires, not evil desires. We need to keep our focus on God's word and being obedient to Jesus. Be obedient, be an obedient child. The third thing we need to focus on is our personal holiness. Verse 15 and 16 says, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be ye holy. Now listen, for I am holy. That's a tough one too. Holiness means to be separated and entirely different from other, all other people and things. Totally different. That's why my God's holy. Holy because he's totally different from all those little jig gods that everybody else wants to worship. They're not holy. They're objects. They're dead. They're not real. My God's alive. My God's real. My God loves me. My God is holy. That's who I serve, a holy God. Second Corinthians 7, 1, Paul says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh, And spirit perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Man, Paul, that's a charge right there. Paul just preached a charge in one verse. I mean, that's a charge to the church, that is a charge to the Christian. I'm going to read again. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Perfecting holiness. Whew. that's what we're doing right now. We're perfecting ourselves. We're trying every day. I think every time I see this little portable pulpit or this podium right here, I think of Jerry and the work that he put into this thing to build this. Anything Jerry built. You think about working in furniture. You don't just slap a couple tube 4s together, throw some glue and screws on it, and call it a piece of work. You can't do that. It's got to look good. you got to whittle away at it to perfect it that he's perfected that that's what god is doing to us right now on a daily basis he is perfecting us he's whittling away at the bad stuff he's cutting away all the sinful things he's cutting out as much as he can daily he's perfecting us just like just like gold when you heat up gold it gets all the imperfections out we have to be put under fire we have to be put under heat under flames to get the imperfections out of us. That's what God is continually doing to his children, us. While we're here on earth, he is perfecting us. He is cleaning us up and getting us ready. He's continuing to, to get out the imperfections of our mind of sin and doubt and hate and, and discord and all the things that the devil is putting in our mind. God is over here putting us under pressure, under fire, under flame to get the imperfections out of us. So that one day... One day, we will be completely perfect. It won't be here on this earth, but we will be perfect when we get to heaven. There are three reasons why believers are to live holy lives. And again, it's tough. The reason we are to to live a holy life is, number one, God is holy. And we serve Him. God is holy. Secondly, God has called believers to be holy called every single one of us to be holy. And the third is the Bible demands holiness. That's said there. The Bible demands it for us to be as holy as possible. Now, we're not going to be holy, high, holy, Jesus-level holy here on earth. I promise you that. That's what we're to strive for. We're trying to be as much like Jesus as possible, but we're never going to get there because of that sin nature that we have. Jesus didn't sin. We sin every day. But we've got to strive and try to be as, as holy as possible. We forget about our holiness because often it doesn't focus on us. A lot of times in this life when we talk about holiness, that doesn't sound like us, does it? We're not holy people. I'm just, I'm just Joe Blow down the street. I'm just a normal old person. We don't focus on that. We need to focus on what God wants us to be. And that would be holy. That would be as close to perfect as we can get here on earth, just to strive. And a lot of times we think in our minds, I'll never be as perfect as Jesus, and you're right, and here on earth. So why even bother? Why try? It builds up your character. It makes you a good person. But here's the thing. It works on your testimony. The more you try to be Christian or Christ-like, the sweeter your testimony is going to get. And the more people are going to be able to see Jesus on you. That's why we need to strive and try as hard as we can. How do we live a holy life? And I'll show you right here. I'll make it really simple for you. Right here. This is how you live your holy life. The Holy Bible. Stick with the Word of God. If you will use that as directions, you'll live a more holy life right there. That's that's your direction. That's That's your owner's manual right there. Stick with the Word of God. If anything we do contradicts God's Word, then we are compromising our personal holiness. Don't do anything that compromises the Word of God or compromises your faith. Don't do any of that. Stay away from it. Stay away from it. God is holy. God calls us to be holy. And God's word demands that we be holy. I can't add to that. That's just the truth. But we can try. Stand with me. We're going to close out. Try, try, try. It's hard. But we need to try as hard as we can. To be as Christ-like as possible. That's what the definition of Christian is, Christ-like. So try, as hard as you can, to be more like Jesus every single day. Try, try, try. I, I, can't, I can't tell you how to do it. But I can tell you where you can read the instructions on how to do it. I would tell myself, read. Read the Bible. Read the Word of God to get your instructions to live a better life, a more godly life. Conley, will you dismiss us? Amen. All right, coming back Wednesday, we're going to finish up Ruth.